Sean Diddy Combs, Bad Boy Records, Siroc Vodka. If you don't know any of these names, then you must have been on a desert island with a volleyball friend called Wilson. But if, like me, you've been very aware of the man and legend P. Diddy and his juggernaut of a company, Combs Enterprises, then you may be surprised to hear that the wizard behind the curtain, the person that increased revenue by 55% in their first year on the job, is a woman. But that's light years away from where she started. While working at a coffee beanery designing smiley faces on lattes, today's woman of impact knew that nothing and no one was going to hold her down. So with a master's degree that focused on contract management, she quickly found herself in her early 20s negotiating $120 million contracts for the Department of Defense. Buying helicopters and fighter jets was just a regular Wednesday for her, but being constantly mistaken in meetings as the person serving coffee didn't faze her. Taking a leaf out of the Steve Martin book, she knew that if she was so good, she couldn't be ignored. And ignored, she wasn't. Within four and a half minutes of interviewing for a position with Puff, he saw what she already knew, that her gender didn't matter. And within a year, she went from his executive assistant to his chief of staff. But being a woman who prides herself on growth, she didn't settle. And right before Siroc Vodka was to come to market, she saw an opportunity. You see, Combs Enterprises didn't have an in-house marketing team, so she volunteered to replace herself and build out the marketing agency from scratch. Well, Puff, even though he'd miss her, agreed. And since 2007, Ciroc Ultra Premium Vodka has experienced over a thousand percent growth, going from obscurity to one of the most recognizable vodka brands on the planet, proving that more money does not have to equate to more problems. Now, Pepper Potts can't even catch up with her. As the first ever president of Combs Enterprises, today's Woman of Impact is a perfect example that your gender and race doesn't define you. And she is hell-bent to spread that word. Actively involved with a network for teaching entrepreneurship, she provides entrepreneurial training to high school students, as well as sits on the board of the Boys and Girls Club of Harlem. So please, help me in welcoming the woman who is honoured by the Network Journal in their 40 Under 40 class of 2000. The woman who Essence magazine named as a leader of the new school. The woman who shows on a daily that it's not all about the Benjamins, but it's also about working hard, believing in who you are, and by following your heart, you truly can become a woman of impact. The queen of the empire, the empress herself, dear Sims. Wow, I need that for my new alarm clock every morning. <laughs> it's going to be waking up to that every day. So <laughs> your intro was so easy to write. I had to miss and cut out so much of your life story because you've just achieved such incredible things. Thank you. Um, but that hasn't been given to you. And that's really where I want to start. So you're in the Department of Defense. Yes. You're dealing with $120 million contracts. Yes. That's crazy in A itself. Bit scary. At the age of like 21. 21, yes. And people still mistake you for the coffee person. Yeah, all the time. So how do you handle that in those moments so that you don't take a dent to your ego or feel like it's a personal effect and then it affect your, um, your outcome? So, you know, the thing that's interesting is I'm dealing with people who really just didn't know a lot of young black women. Mm -hmm. All they knew was whatever they saw on television. So I can fairly and objectively say, like, especially at that point in the, whenever it was, in the late 90s, uh, <laughs> if that's all you knew was something you passed by through the channel, you don't have any real life experience. Mm -hmm. So I felt like it was somewhat incumbent upon me to ensure they understood in real life 
right? The level of excellence that does not myself, but that other women bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the, the key in not taking it personal was understanding that this is about people who just don't have enough information. Of course, they may have certain like inclinations, but I'm happy to be the one to chip away at that. Every step, every bit of excellence, every negotiation at a time. How do you then handle, how do you respond to that? Because for me, I would think that it would sting me a little every time it happened. And I would worry that that sting would present itself in my tone of voice, the way that I act. How do you handle those situations? It has may seem counterintuitive, but I'm incredibly grateful, right? So I start everything every morning off from a place of gratitude. So I think that helps to to minimize you taking Mm. things so personally, Mm. right? So I'm very much like, oh, I'm awake? Oh, both of my legs work? Anything else is like added value, super gravy, right? So if somebody doesn't understand my role in the room, I will clearly, concisely, and elegantly correct them. Um, But I'm not necessarily personally offended, right? Whatever issues they have, that's a disservice to them. They don't understand the value that I bring, that's money that they are losing, right? So that is the way that I would look at it, uh, even at that point. Um, And frankly, even as a young person, as I started to learn more and more, the thing that I have learned is it does, you, you can't deny like excellence. Like I often say, like excellence is a transferable skill. You may not understand the widgets or the specific paradigm, but if you are just badass and get shit done, you can do that almost anywhere in an oil refinery, a department of defense, at a television show. Um, if you bring that dedication and discipline to excellence, I want you on my team every time. Um, so I didn't know everything about the defense industry at 21 years old. So I had to spend my weekend studying the very extensive federal acquisition regulations. Um, it's as sexy as it sounds. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it does sound actually very sexy. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> um, so the, the key, and you could literally, to this day, this is not something that's gone away in the last 20 mm. years. To this day, I can see the moment I'm going to come in a room to typically two and three minutes in, you see this recognition, this change shift in your eyes of like, oh, wow, I'm starting to understand the value that she brings. I did not expect that. Just, just last month, after I was meeting some, with someone, the gentleman literally said to me, how, how did you get like this? <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have asked a man that, right? You know what I mean? That's true, guess. yeah. He literally said, like, how did you get like this? Yeah. Like, it was so jarring to him. But I don't take that personally. I take that as, like, good, this one bit, one dent, right? Hopefully when I walk out of this room, there's one dent that makes it easier for the next woman who walks in this room. That's amazing. So do you actually find it empowering to be underestimated? I find it a little bit. You can turn it on its head. Like, it's a great, it's an you can use it as a weapon. Don't get me wrong. I don't want it to stick around for the long term. I don't right. want my six-year-old daughter to encounter it. Mm. And I hope things get better. But while we're dealing with it, and it's inevitable as a woman that you are dealing with it, when you come in a room, right, and I'm still very often, just like when I was 21 years old, and I'm 43 today, very often the only woman, I'm still the youngest, oddly, and the only reason that I'm not the only minority is because Puff will be in the room as well mm. sometimes. Um, but the thing about that is you get a little bit of a disproportionate share of attention of like, trying to figure out what you're doing there. It's like, what are you gonna do with that moment? When you get that attention, turn it around, take control of the room, move your mission and your agenda forward. And when you take the under, being underestimated and kind of turn it on its head, I think it can be useful. That's so cool, I love that. Use it as a superpower. Precisely, yeah. precisely, yeah. Yes. Um, so what about when you're in a situation, because you went into um, Puff's company um, like it was all new to you. You'd never been a personal assistant before, an executive assistant. So how do you walk into those rooms when you actually don't know much? Well, I think now, so for me, I started in 2005. Mm -hmm. I remember because it was a week after I turned 30. And I say this all the time. My mother used to say, what does not knowing have to do with finding out? 
Um, so I, I, even as a kid, like I would ask like basic things and they'd be like, yep, we bought the encyclopedia. Let us know what you find out. We yeah. look forward to learning about it as well, right? So I think I was always brought up in this kind of like research mentality, information's available. When I was growing up, and even up until the early 2000s, you know, Google was out. But you right. still were like, let me call my great aunt who has good information, or my homegirl who works at this. You had to actually make 43 calls or go around and ask people and do your own. Now I feel like people are such an advantage because literally all information is at your disposal, at your fingertips. Um, so I think there's no excuses at this point. You mm -hmm. can literally find anything out. You need to pressure test it and make sure that it's accurate and it's correct. Um, but for me, starting off, when I didn't know anything about being an executive assistant, I learned it all on the job. Yeah, I love it. I actually have a quote of yours, and this really summed up um, how I saw you in every interview that I've ever watched, like you just embody this. Um, you put every person or every experience is an opportunity to learn or to teach. And it's like, you're the student and you're the teacher. And I love that. Like, what does learning mean to you and how have you used it to get to where you are today? So in general, I have this whole theory that we can have another meeting about that like learning has a bad reputation. Like right. that you have to go to learning or learning is encapsulated in a school. Or if you're learning, it means that you're not good enough. Right, right. And conversely, right, like if you're teaching, you don't need to learn. Right. Um, the reality is every single person has something to learn and every single person has something to teach. And I think you have to approach life like that. Like, what can you learn? We talked about this earlier. You know, what can you learn in your Uber? What can you learn in your bus ride today? What can you learn from your intern? Like, everybody does. And you have to... You have to approach life like that because that is the way that you can improve like second by second mm -hmm. by gathering information. You can parcel out what makes sense and what doesn't, but don't just go to the expected sources because there is guidance, there's leadership, there's inspiration literally everywhere. God, I love that so much. Um, so when you go to the first job um, interview with P, you didn't really know um, the position, you'd never done that before. Then he offers you the job. Yes. And so you go in and you're a newbie at it and everyone was telling you, what are you doing? You're crazy, you're yes. leaving a stable job. Um, you know, why on earth would you do this? How did you not listen to the people that were telling you not to make that move? Because in hindsight, people are gonna look at you and go, yeah, it was a good decision, right? Because of where you are now. Right. But what if it didn't work out? Like, how do you make those decisions to, um, to try something new, even when everyone is in your ear saying it's a mistake? So I think there's three things. So I was a psychology major, and I'll never forget this. I think it kind of helped change the way I approach life. And I remember learning about if people are diagnosed with um, OCD, you would sometimes, as part of the conversation with them, approach like, what is the absolute worst? So if you're a person who is like, I can only be in the cleanest environment, you would, those people would actually do things like, we're gonna put your hand in the toilet or you're gonna have to mm. go, you have to put your hand in the garbage can. And then, and then deal with the fact that like, look at you, you're all whole, you're here, you've done this, very, this thing that seemed like the very worst thing and you've survived it. So I've kind of always approached every opportunity like what is the worst that could happen? Could I survive it? Would I wake up the next morning with both my legs and be happy and living and breathing, right? You know what I mean? So to me, I kind of make decisions with that lens first. Um, I think the second thing is, and this is something I cannot say enough or loudly enough, and um, I see this disproportionately with women, is you have to be okay with taking more risk. Like, mm. just, just try it. Just Why do, do think, it. Especially with women. In my experience, I see this in, like, with our own team, with talent, with the way women project managers manage, manage things versus the way that men do. I find, this just my own history, mm. but I find that women 
disproportionately want all the information. Mm. I say, look, this is the outcome. I trust you to move forward. And like, I need all the details. Hold on. I'm going to come back to you in three weeks. I want it to be perfect. I want to know the roadmaps. I want to know every bit of details about it um, before I move forward. And I find, for good or for bad, like there's some there's something great about that, right? You want to do things the right way. It's grounded on the right thing. I've not found that equivalently in my male teammates, which are more likely to say, like, I'm going to figure it out along the way. I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to just step out. And, and I do think... There is some happy medium where maybe they're both too far on each right, side. Right. But I think it's important for women to be comfortable with taking a risk and bet on yourself. You have a lot of institutional knowledge within your brain already, right? You're already going around observing, understanding things. And if you have like the basics of how do I make a decision? Like, mm. do I, can I lean on my own instincts a bit more? I think you can feel more comfortable with taking risks and, and, and moving forward. So the third thing, the third reason was, it was kind of what we talked about earlier was, when I thought about my previous roles and role that I was currently in, I was like, I don't feel like I'm learning. I am, mm. a, I'm a super geek and I love to be at places where I can learn. And I was like, this man is somebody I could learn from. So again, like if I go there, like no matter what happens, I know if I spend five days there, I will have learned more than I knew five days ago. That's so cool, I love that. Um, so you get the position and in yes. fact you were auditioning for a chief of staff yes. role and I love this so much and I want everyone to really hear what you say so you go for one okay. role <laughs> and you get a job but they offer you something with a smaller title yes talk to me about that because I think that this is where a lot of people trip up yes so I went to interview for a chief of staff role and they called me and said you know Puff would like to offer you the job, but you've not really managed large teams before. So he would like you to start as his executive assistant. And I said, basically, <laughs> you can call me the janitor. Right? I don't care what you call me per se. I do want reasonable compensation because I'm going to bring a lot to the table. Um, and I feel like people do get caught up on titles. And it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. And don't get me wrong. I know you have to need to build your CV. But if you have an opportunity, like, do not let a title get in the way. Absolutely not. And when I went there, I also didn't let the title get in my way of what I was taking on, right? So, like, don't mm. feel like I'm an executive assistant, so I'm only going to do my assistant things mm. based on the, the list of things that I have right here. The thing that was super cool about working for Sean Combs compared to working at Department of Defense was the flexibility to be so entrepreneurial within an organization. If you had a phenomenal idea, if you love wooden buttons and you could find a way to monetize it and you could pitch him, you could be like, I'm gonna be the queen of the button business and I'm gonna, <laughs> here's, I'm gonna make us $100 million through my button business in Milan, right? So I'm like, look, this is a place where versus working at the Department of Defense, which was extraordinarily structured, which mm. would take an act of Congress to move from black to blue pens, right? This is a place where I don't have to just stay within the confines of my role. I need to kill my role. I need to master the schedule and travel and the things that are invaluable as an executive assistant. But on top of that, what other projects can I get behind? Over launching a fragrance and you don't like the marketing plan, I'm staying up all night and do a new one, right? Because that's how you can show off what your, what your abilities really are, what you could do next. Wow. Yeah, because then you went and started their marketing department. And um, so is that the attitude you took towards that? You saw a hole in the company business model and you're like, hey, let me tackle this. Thousand percent. So the good news about um, when I was promoted to chief of staff is I got to have purview mm -hmm. over everything that Sean was involved with. Right. So particularly for young people, as you're trying to think through, what do I want to do? Because it's hard. There's so many options and you're not sure what to do because he's been involved in so many different um, lifestyle brands. Working so closely with him got me a little bit of peace of like, OK, this is what the fashion industry is like. This is what fragrance is like. And when the opportunity to get in the spirits industry came about, um, I said, look, we don't have we have a very small team. 
I have a nego- I've been trained in negotiations. I would like to participate in the negotiations with Diageo. He said, sure. Once we got close to finalizing the deal, again, there was a hole, right? We are, uh, Sean's entire, uh, all of his success has been very much rooted on his like unique ability to, to just market. He's a master marketer. Mm. So we no longer have an in-house marketing team like you used to in the 90s. I would like to build it. So at that time, there were no people in the role. There was no funding for it. But I said, look, I'm take a risk. So look, I will go out and figure out how to get the funding. I will build out what the organization will look like. I will work myself on the job descriptions of what we need. Um, and he said, okay, replace yourself and you can start it. Well, so let's talk about negotiations. Yes. Because I think that this is one thing that um, women have a hard time negotiating for themselves. And so why do you think that is? Why do you think we don't really recognize our self-worth and then fight for it? And then the follow-up question to that is, what tips do you have to then negotiate their self-worth? Yeah, this is like centuries-long baggage, right? This literally starts with, like, babies and toddlers. So when you look at kids, for the most part, girls and boys behave relatively, to some degree, similarly in those kind of ways, like standing up for what they believe is right, trying to get their fair share. Those kind of negotiating components don't start to get eroded till kids start to go to school. And they start to be told, like ladies get along with each other, you're being bossy. You really, we literally, at least in American culture, kind of train basic leadership skills out of women. We train standing up for yourselves out of women very early on, where actually you are almost punished if you're too assertive, if, you're, if you really stand up for your rights, if you stand up for one another, if you take control of situations, you're actually somewhat admonished within most systems for very young children. So to me, this starts with like, this is like prenatal education. This is like we have to teach mothers this when they're pregnant to make a significant mm. shift in the way kids are raised so that women and men both equally feel comfortable negotiating, advocating for themselves. At the end, negotiation is a very simple premise that is as old as time. If I want to give you my fish in exchange for the spices that you have or a, a piece of silver, right? That, that is not, it's not controversial. It should be a non-controversial thing where you're exchanging services and you're setting values. Mm. But it has become um, burdened I think with all these like psychological components that make people feel as if they, they're uncomfortable to do it or it's, or it's a confrontational conversation to have around money. Um, and, and women, again, disproportionately do not advocate for themselves in the room. Um, there was a woman, um, I think is a good example, who I had hired when I was Sean's chief of staff. We were looking for an uh, executive chef for him. And this woman came in as a candidate and Sean loved her food and said, okay, offer her the job. And she was in New York from, I believe from Seattle. So we sat down and I said, what, what comp do you want? We like to offer you the job. How much would you want to make? And the amount she said was just ludicrously low. No way she would have been able to live six days in New York city. So I said, no, I did not hear that. Look, I want you to go to Sherm. I want you to go to payscale.com. You need to Google what the chef rates are in New York city. You need to look at real estate and come back to me at the end of the day. And then you ask me for what you want. And she did. And to this day, and from then, she went on to be very successful. She went on television. She's done a bunch of, been a celebrity chef for many celebrities. To this day, like, it doesn't matter what side of the desk you're on. Like, we have to be real advocates for one another. Um, and, and I think it's important that on, if you are the person hiring, that you're treating women fairly. And if you are the person advocating for yourself, don't hesitate to say, like, this is the value I create. And it's worth something. Yeah, really just recently I had a conversation interview with um, a, a lady to come on board into our company and I'd known her, she had interned here before, so we start talking, I'm like, oh my God, you know that I love you, of course you're going to come on board. And so I said, this is the position that we have and right. she was like, love it. And so, I, so I'm like ready to hang up and she's like, Lisa, 
how much is the, the pay? And as I told her, she then spent three minutes explaining to me why she, she was like, oh, I just need to know because I have to tell my dad because I'm in college. And I'm like, oh, you do not give me reasons why you're asking exactly. me the pay. And I literally stopped her. I said, you do not give reasons why you're asking me. You need oh, to sorry. own that of course you should know how much I get, like I want the position I'm offering. I was just so in my own head, I didn't, like I didn't even think about right. it. But I did the same thing and I was like, no, yes. you have to own this. Um, and I think that it takes women like yourself to, in those times, in those moments, to really be able to say, like empower the women to ask yes. things like that. Yes. Because look, we still have a lot of generations that are being raised yeah. in the same way, and it, it just it just is going to take a long time to shake right. off. So in the interim, we got to hold hands and make these changes ourselves. Yeah, I love that. You're such a woman of no excuses, and this is what I love because for me, I'm exactly the same. Like I turn, I take ownership over everything, right. my failures, my successes, everything. And there's a story that you told about um, Sandra Pay, and you got thrown basically a project. You had 24 hours to do it, yes. and most people would crack and crumble. Or give an excuse why they didn't succeed. Right. Um, take me through that story. Yeah. And <laughs> so we were in uh, uh, Sean's vacationing in Saint Tropez, and he decided to have a dinner party. I believe it was for Bono at the time. So no, no pressure, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> on, on his yacht. So um, you know, it's a very different environment. You know, it's a very different approach to culture in France versus America, which I'm sure everyone knows. But here, you can pretty much you can go to somebody and you can pay your way out, right? right? Not the case here, right? So as we're trying to arrange things in real time for that evening, it was less than 24 hours, but it was literally that morning for dinner that evening. Uh, wow. Everything for finding a new chef because the chef on board could not do it in addition to like managing all the people who were actually on the yacht. So finding a specialty chef, flowers, dinner, napkins, invitations, everything within a particular time. I don't speak French. Unfortunately, right? <laughs> a friend of mine actually happened to be there as well, who I just happened to know was good with floral arrangements from like our personal girl parties. Mm. So I go, we go into the markets, we pull things. I literally bring her on the board like downstairs and we're like, please help me. Here's like 50 vases and help me like, put together the arrangements. I have to go like call everybody I know to figure out how to get a chef. And literally like there was no amount of money I could pay anyone. It was very much like, it's not possible. Mm -hmm. I'm having dinner with my wife today. No, thank you. It's not possible. Right. I'm hanging out. I'm going to a museum today. Like it was a very different uh, mode of incentive, which helped me in my communication. So by the time I got to like the fourth person, I was like, okay, stop trying to pay people off, right. figure out an appropriate way to engage them and inspire them to do this and talk about what it means and how impactful it is and friends and family. And I was able to actually mm -hmm. convince someone to come on board um, and do it. And then literally just ran around Saint-Tropez, like buying everything you needed to make this wonderful dinner, you know, come to fruition, which we did. And it was an amazing event. Um, but I think it just comes from like the, the basis of like literally all things are possible and an understanding of how much can be done with time. I think people highly underutilize, frankly, their whole lives. And I'm not saying, I mean, there's so many things that I could be doing as well. I'm not exempt from that, but I have a lot of respect for how much you can get done, like in a minute. And uh, people tend to Say like, oh, I want to do this. And they think a lot about it. And they spend a lot of time thinking and assessing. Potentially, like, if you really added up the time, people will spend, like, months thinking about things that actually might take two days to accomplish, right? So it's the idea of moving from your brain to your feet and your hands and understanding, like, actually, you're putting a, you're expending a lot of energy. Like, you're using a lot of, like, carbs, mm -hmm. right, when you use your brain a lot. Um, like, you could use that same energy towards 
actioning the thing, the thing that you desire to be accomplished. Yeah, because that's the thing. In those moments, though, the panic can like right. overwhelm you. Right. And I get that a lot. People are like, I can't. And I'm like, okay, let's actually break down that word, I can't, or yes. it's not possible. Because to me, it's like, it is possible, but you may have to make sacrifices. You may only be able to have red roses instead of like, you know, the sure. three colors that you like. Sure. <laughs> but it is possible. Yes. And sometimes that mentality, at least for me, was that was the biggest shift that I made that allowed me to have the career that I've got because it was like anything is possible you just have to find a way to do it so when I heard that story I was like yes because you could have given every excuse under the sun I'm in a new country I don't know you know I don't know anybody right but yet you put on your thinking hat and you figured it out it's almost all it really is almost all possible I think Mm. that's the thing and you're right it is around like it may be it may be ridiculous. It might even be like stone cold crazy. But most genius comes from like really crazy things. Um, so whether or not it can be done should be off the table. It's a decision of how do you look through the options. What's it, what can you make available to you? And it is a choice tree and decision tree and allocation of time and resources to get there. But it is literally almost all possible. So not only am I probably like calling somebody at a terrible time, I'm calling them with like urgent an urgent request. Mm-hmm. So first, I think people. I don't know. It's like it's like when you look at the flight attendant on a plane. If they look calm, you feel calm, right? <laughs> so true. You know what I mean? Like so, like but if they so, so you have to call them. Panicking. Everything. Everything. All bets yeah. off, right? <laughs> so it's like I'm thinking like, let me be the flight attendant during this time, right? So you call. So when I call, I'm already calling with a sense of like. This is a bit crazy, but we can do this, right? right? So it's like you said you're transparent about like I understand that what I'm sharing, what I understand what I'm about to ask you to do is intense and crazy, right? So I think people appreciate the recognition. There's a lot of people come in very bull in the china shop, like I need this done. I'm calling such and such. It doesn't really work in the long run because I'm going to be calling you back next week for some other crazy request, right. right? So let me build a real relationship and be transparent about what I'm asking you to do is bananas. Mm-hmm. This is how we can do it, right? And I also try to do a little bit of pre-work, right? Like, what is, what is it actually going to require? Who has done this before? Let me come to them with some proposed solution as best as my knowledge base will allow and say, like, is it reasonable to do this? I promise you I've seen this a million times. It feels uncomfortable in the moment, but nothing great comes out of just doing things comfortably. The phenomenal thing about working for Sean is he has um, enormous vision. I mean, he genuinely believes all things are possible. And, you know, I'm a person who I'd like to think dreams big, but... If I think I can colonize Mars, he's going to say, no, why, why are you thinking small? We could do the whole Milky Way. Like, I mean, don't you know there's galaxies we never heard of? Like, we can, and like, for some people, that's not easy to handle, right? But, but it, it can be also be inspiring because once you actually figure out, like, I guess we could, let me, let me call NASA, let me figure out how to do this, and start to drill down, like, how do you operationalize vision, right? Then I think that is incredibly rewarding. And it's really self-satisfying to be like, damn, I did that thing. Oh, God, I love that. Dropping bombs, girl. (laughs) All right, so now I really want to talk about work-life balance. Yes. Because I know how you feel about it. Um, I think I have a quote, actually. So you said, I don't want to be in a circus. I want to be in a batting cage. So explain that to me and how that relates to work-life balance and your thoughts on the whole issue. I know so many people that are doing a ridiculous amount of things in concert and we're always being encouraged to juggle all these balls, right? But I feel like that's what clowns do. Not interested in being, that's one thing I'm not interested in doing is being a clown. I try as my, my very best at least to approach it like I'm in a batting cage. And that's still a lot. There's a lot of things coming at you, but I want to hit that damn ball every time. Whatever that one thing is I'm in the moment, I want to knock that out the park and then knock that out the park and knock that out that park. The juggling is not, it doesn't work. 
I think it's a, it's, it doesn't work for moving forward, right? It's a lot of activity, but what is actually happening? It's a, it's an octopus on roller skates. Like you're moving all around, but you didn't oh, get anywhere. I've never heard you know that what phrase I mean? before. Yeah. Um, so sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, like, no, no, no. Um, so, but, so you have a daughter yes. and a husband, yes. and you're running a freaking empire. <laughs> so I'm sure I know you get asked this a lot. Like, how do you balance the both? And you say like you just want to knock it out of the park. Yes. How does what does that actually look like? And then how do you do it? So to be very clear, I don't even believe balance is possible. I think we are like the beta generation. So I would take that, would just throw that notion to me. It's like a dirty curse word of like work-life balance. It does not exist, right? At best, if you are all in at work, you know something suffering in your life. And if you're doing a great thing for Father's Day, you know something suffering at work. Right. Shiz is what it is. Just deal with it and move forward. Um, maybe four generations from us, they'll get it. But right now, this has never existed before, right? Women who are running the PTA and baking organic muffins and running a $100 million budget and going to do yoga class in the morning and then going to take care of their parents at night like this this combination of activity mm. has just never happened so we're all doing the best we can and figuring it out in real time but what I do try to do and I don't think it's a you know to to pivot off of the word time is you have to get control of your schedule right the day runs you or you run the day and the reality is the best way to have anything that even approaches a semblance of balance is protecting your time like viciously. Like I know if you think about like how moms are with their kids, you want to have like time second, right? I'm going to do anything for my kids and then second, I'm going to do anything for my time. That means knowing when to say no. And if you say yes, mean it, right? Mean it and show up. It means things like, does the meeting have to be 30 minutes or could it be 17 minutes, right? Like when you look at your blocks of time, figure out like, don't let people take advantage of your time. So it's helpful if you think about how do you classify your time? This is a creative session. So we want to have six hours. We want to be in this environment. This is a decision meeting. So when I come in, please have the decisions ready to be made. Right. And that will, I think, help you to take control of your time so that you can spend on things that really matter. Because the reality is I love what I do. I think we're all, you know, hopefully in the business of, of hopefully making other people's lives better and wealth creation. But the reality is the, the basis of my entire life is around my family. Um, is around like is around love. That's the most important thing. Not to sound Pollyanna-ish, but I don't really care about anything the way I would care about my family. So I want to protect any time that's trying to get in the way of stealing time that I can spend with my six-year-old and my husband and my family and friends. Mm -hmm. So how does that? How do you actually do that? So I'm thinking yes. the business that you're in, Puff is like a diehard twenty-four-seven. Yes, twenty-four 24 hours, is what I stop, Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yes. So. You're, you've decided I'm spending time with my daughter or let's say yes. you're going to watch her doing a sport or something like that and your phone rings and it's Puff. Yes. How do you handle those situations? So for the most part, I'll probably take the call. Okay. <laughs> I'll probably take the call, but I'll try to be prepared or efficient to move the conversation as succinctly as possible or just be candid. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, hey, it's me. I'm with my daughter. Can I call you back in 10 minutes? Can we text back? Can I do voice notes? Um, mm. Voice notes, I think, is a, is a good tool if you keep them under 30 seconds um, because you don't have to stop and type. You can just mm. text the voice mm. note, which is easier to do if you're with your daughter or you're at a family affair. Just blah, 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 send it. I think that's a good time-saving tip that has mm. worked. That's um, great. Yeah. So what about, let's say, even before, though, you've kind of earned your stripes, let's yes. say. Yes, yes. Um, if there's people listening right now where they're starting a new job, their family means everything to them, but they really want to crush it at work. Yes. Um, and they get the phone call from the boss. Yes. How do you handle that? I think you have to be honest, right? So when I first started this job in 2005, I was literally like, pretending like I'm on the Gaza Strip. Like, I'm going to be unavailable. Like, as I really was for the first two years, like, all in, like, a robot. Like, 24 hours a day. And I still am very available, but that initial commitment to lay the foundation of, like, 
This is who I am. You can count on me. I did manage with my family and friends. Like it's going to be 24 months where I'm going to be missing a bit. I'll come when I can. I'll be the best friend I can be. But for a while, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do it half-assed. Um, so I think it's important to set expectations with the people in your life. And then conversely, there may come a time in, in your life later on. And I, you know, when I was pregnant and I had to say, I said, Sean, I'm going to be working from home for the last couple of months because I'm about to have a baby and there's nothing more important in the world than that to me. And he understood that, but you have to build the credibility on both sides of your life to be honest and say, at this point, I'm going to be all in here. And now I can't wait to come back to be all in with you. How important is that team around you to be able to achieve what you've achieved? The team is everything. Um, I mean, my general philosophy is like hire hard, but manage light. I mean, so ideally, and honestly, you could pick every relationship. Honestly, almost every relationship be like that. Like whatever, whoever your partner in life is like, vet them, right? Like, but once they're in it, like, then trust them. Um, so the people around you are, to me, are your make or break. You cannot do this alone. There's very few things that you can do um, well for the long term by yourself. You can sprint by yourself, you can't marathon by yourself. Mm -hmm. I love that, yeah. Um, and what does it mean to you to be um, so impactful on um, other people in the business and you know these, these kids that you're mentoring? What does that mean to you and why is that important? Well, I will say when, um, when Sean announced um, that I was gonna take the president of Combs Enterprises role, I was of course thrilled. But the thing that moved me so much was the, as you can imagine, but it just didn't occur to me, is like the executive assistants at our company came to me like in tears of like, it means so much to see like that you started as an executive assistant and now like you're in this role and it makes us feel like what we're doing every day has a future. And that like almost moved me to tears. To me, it, it meant a great deal that, that it was something that was inspiring. Um, to them. By far the most important thing we're involved with is our schools. Um, so our school system is called Capital Prep and we have uh, one in Connecticut and one in Harlem. We're so proud. We just recently got approved for another charter in the Bronx wow, congratulations. Um, with Dr. Steve Perry who leads it on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so that when you see these kids and their transition. We've had kids come in three grade levels behind in reading, catch up two levels in one year. And we always say like, we're not proud of that because if it's possible, we should all be doing it everywhere. Mm. Right, if it's, if it's even possible to our earlier point, we should be, we gotta figure out how we're doing this in mass. Right. Um, I love that you're saying that um, you've almost become an, you, well not almost, you have become an example, I think for women in general and then women of color of what can be achieved. Um, when someone can look up to someone and say, they did it so I can do it too. But you didn't have that. You, you know, you were the first president of Combs Enterprises. So you didn't, you were the first person, not even the first woman and woman of color. You were the first person. Thank you. So what allows you to dream that big and actually go for it when there's no example in front of you? Um, like my mom is amazing. Both my parents are amazing. Um, but in terms of like fortitude, my mother was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was about nine years old. And she used to like um, get up and run like five miles every morning, then come back, pack our breakfast, take us to school, then go to work. You know what I mean? Like she was just still total badass. For me to see the way that she received that diagnosis and just didn't let her stop her. She couldn't even, she couldn't walk that well, but I would come home and she would be like, you know, figuring out, she would figure it out. Like she would be like, well, I figured out that if I sit on the couch at this angle and get here, I can still do the curtains. Or like to this day, she's the most like optimistic, best sense of humor, like always still joins every possible thing she can, will travel with my dad around the world. Like she, she doesn't let it stop her at all. She had a disc in her back that was dissipated. 
which is nuts. But she's always in like extreme pain. So she didn't really know it. So when we took it to the doctor, the doctor was like, I don't like this is unhuman that she's been walking around for this amount of time that the bone has actually dissipated and she's still moving around like, well, I guess the pain just got worse. Um, like that is the level of strength that she has. So any small minor thing that happens in my life, I'm like, this is nothing. Yeah, what I love is you're such an advocate for women. And I love that you don't just go and be like, yes, women should do this and like women need more positions. You took like data and you analytics and you're like, this is why women should be more in business. Yeah. Talk to me about that because at least for myself, it's like, oh no, we should be equal and we should have more women. And it's more of, I think, an emotional thing. But you were like, this is why it's good for the business. Right, even right now, like I've been doing a lot of research in the cannabis industry. In the United States, the most successful is run by a woman. Right now, it is just a better investment. And, and the math bears that out. There's a, um, a hedge fund in Boston, it's called Quantopia, and they did an assessment on, I believe, the S&P 100 that showed that the women CEOs that were commensurate with the male CEOs were earning three to one times earnings. So the reality, and that's just one example, and there's example after example, there's worldwide studies that have shown this over and over again, that when you have women in leadership, your bottom line increases. When you have better diversity on your board or your C-suite or your leadership team, you have significant, not small like a 0.02, but significant, like double levels of increases. So I've, I do always say this, like if you don't have the heart for doing the right thing, then consider what your wallet would tell you to do. Yeah. How do, how do companies not know more about this? Well, you know what? I feel like this drumbeat has been said quite a bit in the last couple of years, but it's not being said, I think, loud enough and consistently enough. And it needs to be said by women and men. And it needs to be approached from a shareholder angle, which I don't think is happening. Because the reality is, if you're a shareholder in an organization, you find out, like, what? I have a company and they knew about this other, let's say instead they, they refused to expand to another territory where there was tons of opportunity. Mm. You're selling pink pillows and there's a pink pillow bonanza in Canada and, you, and they just decide not to expand. You would go to that CEO shareholder and be like, why are you guys not in there? What's your market expansion plan? What are you doing? Well, you have that right here. You have a pink pillow bonanza right here in the United States available for you that's going to actually increase the worth, make your shares more valuable, make money for the people who participate, make money for the entire organization. Um, and we're not tapping into it. Everybody approaches women in leadership or diversity in leadership as a charity. Right. It's not a charity. It's a, it's a wise, it's a sage investment. That's it. Bar none. All the math and data bears that out. Yeah. I love that you look at things like that because you even were talking about um, CEO genome. Yes. Um, so talk yes. to me about that. Yes. So there was a, uh, it's a wonderful project. I think uh, Harvard did the, the recap on it. It's the CEO genome project. And it did an assessment of like, what are the qualifiers that make people become CEOs more quickly? What type of activities take a person from either becoming a CEO in the average amount of time, which I think was like 20 something years, or an accelerated timeline, which I believe was like 11 to 16 years. Okay. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me was they took on some, I don't know if I can curse, some like bullshit yeah. Yeah. that nobody That's else cool. wanted to do, right? So when you look around, they basically took on something that was a mess and turned it around. And there was only like four different things that stood out. And that was a big one. Like you took this underdeveloped product that everybody ignored. So, hey, I want to, can I be the charge of that? Can I be the king or queen of such and such project? Take it and turn it around. The reason why that actually works, again, just from a fact standpoint is, success is what you set it at. It's a mess already. So anything, if you get it from a mess to zero, it's a wild success. Do you understand yeah, what I'm saying? So yeah. it's actually an advent. It's a strategic point of view of look around your organization and see where is there a mess that nobody wants to touch. And I, and I say this could be the, 
messy supply closet. It could be the way the guest check. It doesn't have to be a billion dollar venture. But when you start to be known as the problem solver, there's nothing more valuable than that. Yeah, and that's obviously what you did with the whole, with the marketing and... So what advice do you have? In fact, what are the, let's say, three key things that you've embodied that has gotten you to where you are right now? So I think one would be, um, like, kindness. And, and I'll double make that kindness and civility. I think it's important to say please and thank you. I think it's important to appreciate people, important to build relationships. We're really going the wrong way to me, and this is, a, again, another conversation, but things are becoming so increasingly divisive. And to use our the precious amount of time we have on this earth, which is really small, right? Like being mean and combative is not helpful. I have found for me, it sounds odd, but just even being like genuinely kind, which I genuinely do care, has been helpful to me in my journey. So I would, you know, I would take that more seriously and think about like, are you being kind to each other? Are you supporting the other woman in the meeting? Are you being helpful? Are you, how can you turn your thoughts around? Like healthy competition is great, but are you also genuinely happy if the other person succeeds? The world is abundant, like there's enough for all of us. Um, I think the second thing would be you know, real due diligence, like lean into your, I'm not a mathematician, but I'm math first, like I come with the facts. And it's important that if you are, if you have a great idea or you're advocating for yourself, the facts are out there, facts matter. You have to stand on the ground of like, hey, I contribute these things. On the free market, they're worth XXX. Those are just facts. There's nothing controversial about that. Like, let us engage in this exchange. Feel free to stand on the foundation of facts. Um, I think the last thing will be, be relentless. Feel free to stand on the foundation of facts. Girl, that was, that's strong. And I think the third thing is like, be relentless. I do. I mean, this is a fairy puff daddy. Like, they can't stop more. Like, he really, like, he actually can't stop. Like, they can't stop, won't stop is real. Like, be relentless in the pursuit of what you want to accomplish. And, and whatever that means for you, if you want to be free and more entrepreneurial, you can do it, right? Like, do not stop. Do not let these little speed bumps stop you. My friend is a doctor, and she always tells the story that many women, when they're in natural labor, uh, at the very moment when the baby is about to come out, they always are like, I'm not doing this no more. They're always, they say, almost, he said, she finds just a portion. Women are always like, no, I, just, I don't care. You get the baby out any way you want to. I'm done. This is ridiculous. Really? So almost always like, like within a minute or two of the actual baby coming out. So there's some reality of the cliche. Like when it feels really dark, it is almost always the moment before the lightness, right? Like, so when you feel like the most, like this just can't happen. I've tried every single thing I can. It's almost always within striking distance of when like the amazing thing's about to happen and when that success is about to happen so push through be relentless I love that well in those moments then let's say you're pushing through yes. and you've been fighting it like for a long time and you're like no this is gonna work at what point do you say yes keep going or you know what this actually isn't working and it's actually better to take a different path well I think it's a difference between pivoting your methodology and focusing on your dream right so okay. your dream may be like your dream may be like I want to work for myself and maybe you're working really hard because you think you're, you want to be a, a worldwide singer. And that doesn't work. And then you realize, like, well, I want to work for myself, but you know what? I'm a really great, song, I'm really great at writing songs. Mm. I could be a great music executive. I'm great at finalizing talent. I could be great at singing advertising commercials. I could be the best um, song coach in the world to the world's top talent, right? So you can still pursue your dream, but you may need to, almost everybody has to adjust their methodology or adjust the pathway of their journey. 
But what your big dream is, the thing that you wake up for, the thing that your heart beats for, don't give that shit up. Yeah. So what if you want to be a singer? Yes. And they, you think you're great. And you go in, you sit in front of you and puff, and you sing, and you guys are like, sorry. <laughs> you're just not going to cut it. In those moments, yes. is it better to go, wow, they know what they're talking about, so I shouldn't? Or like, I really want to be the world's best singer. Yes. I'm still going to go after it. Even if they're a little oblivious to the lack of the talent. actual talent, the tell, yeah. So this goes back to the points we said. Facts matter, right? So you approach your life like a scientist. Like I tell my daughter this all the time, and she's six. Like think like a scientist, okay. right? So a few people don't love what you do. Cool. A hundred of a hundred people don't love what you do. Okay. Something to think about, right? You know what I mean. Yeah. So I think you need to be able to go out and figure out how do you utilize the people around you as sounding boards. I still feel like there are times when like research doesn't matter. Opinions. Are important but take them in consideration in the full totality of what you can accomplish um, you know I always love uh, there's a quote from from Britney Spears interestingly who she says like I never had a plan B and maybe 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 that's not the best example <laughs> but look <laughs> but she says I've never had a plan successful. B she's reached enormous success because she was like I was only gonna do one thing mm. that was it and we're like what would you have done you I was never not gonna be a singer um, so there is mm. it's not for everyone but if you have the ability to be relentless in your focus sometimes frankly to a certain degree, the hard work is more important than the talent. The hard work typically matters more. Yeah, so true. Do you typically have a plan B or do you typically not have a plan B? Hmm, so I am, I am probably a person who does, not, not following my own advice, and has <laughs> multiple plans. Okay. Um, but the thing that I do feel like that I'm committed to is I do try to, for me it's important to, wherever I am, I just try to do the best I can in that moment. That I mean, they seem like a very, like, practical dream if you will yeah, but, but it's important to me that if i'm going to be doing something i'm doing it i do try to live up to that yeah girl thank you so much you're freaking oh, awesome you. oh my god this has been so amazing um where can people find you follow you all the great stuff you're sure. doing yeah so i'm at dsm so it's d-i-a-s-i-m-m-s on all social media so please do you know follow me on instagram um and uh yeah we have a bunch of exciting stuff going on right now but um yeah, follow your dreams, follow your quest. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love that. Um, and my last question is, what is your superpower? So my superpower is gratitude. I feel like it doesn't matter what you're doing if you're not happy inside. My greatest victory, honestly, is that I, nine out of ten days, I wake up really happy and appreciative, and I feel like I have a whole life, and I'm grateful for any success I have at work, but if I didn't have it, I would wake up very happy and grateful. So for me, I think my superpower is gratitude because... At the end of the day, that what matters is like how happy you are. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. all that the, the money, success, homes, none of that really matters yeah. if you're like unhappy inside. Um, and I think happiness starts with gratitude. Yeah. Guys, 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 go follow her. Go see all the incredible stuff she's doing. This woman is literally a bundle of joy. Like she just brightens my room when I walked into it earlier. Um, go follow her. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And until next time, guys, go be the superhero of your own life.